Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit stamps.com and use the promo code the gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, February 25th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Big election in Chicago and the big winner, democracy itself. Wasn't Stavros democracy? Wasn't he running in the fourth ward? Okay, I got my facts wrong. Anyway, Rahm Emanuel will not be swept into office just on the results of this election. There has to be a runoff against a guy named Chewy because in this nonpartisan election, he did not clear the electoral threshold. Perhaps you've heard this threshold described in the following phrase. You hear this phrase around elections, 50% plus one, right? Now, the normal human, mathematically correct way of saying this would be, you know, any more than 50%. There's another word for this without even the percent sign. It's called a majority, right? You have to get the majority. But man, do they like saying 50% plus one. I have news for you. 50% plus one, even though it's extra wordy and seems extra technical, it's actually also extra wrong. Follow me here. Let's say a total of three people showed up in the entire election. Wouldn't you say if Rahm Emanuel got two of those three people to vote for him, he'd win outright? He'd clear the majority threshold? But no, follow me here. 50% of three people is 1.5. So 50% plus one would be 2.5. And since two people isn't 2.5, if you really went by 50% plus one, he wouldn't win the election. Luckily, turnout in Chicago was higher than that. Just call it a majority, people. On the show today, I spiel about a lie told by the head of the VA. And our one big, long, fun interview is with Gretchen Rubin, author of the book, The Happiness Project, and a new member of our new network here at Slate. It's called the Panoply Network. Panoply is... A bunch of new shows by some of the best names in people you think might be interesting, like Gretchen Rubin, who I just mentioned, who we'll be talking to. New York Magazine, The New York Times Magazine, Baratunde Thurston, the the comedian and writer, just some of the most interesting or potentially interesting people. You haven't heard their podcasts, but I'm telling you they're good. And we're bringing to it editing. We're bringing to it good microphones. That alone makes us better than a lot of podcasts or podcast networks. So that's Panoply. And this is Gretchen. She's talking to us about happiness. And as a special bonus, we will not be playing the Pharrell song. We will not be playing happy. And you know it. Do not clap your hands. Do not put your left hand in. Do not put your left hand out. That's not what it's all about. It's all about happiness.
So today, maybe you've been hearing, is the uh, launch of the Panoply Network, or as I call it, the Panoply. Actually, <laughs> Panoply is a word that I use just frequently. I don't know. We have some of these. I think we all have some of these. Maybe, what do they call them? Like 10-cent words that to us seem like two-and-a-half-cent words. I'm always saying Panoply. It was a Panoply of fruits before me. So it just means a lot of different things. Ripe things. One of the ripest is Gretchen Rubin. You might know her. <laughs> <laughs> you might know Gretchen as the best-selling author of The Happiness Project, a book that just put the world of happiness on its ear, and now she's hosting a podcast, her own podcast, for uh, Panoply. Hello, Gretchen. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Is it the Happiness Podcast? It's the Happier Podcast. Happier. Yeah, because, you know, this is... Is that like safer sex? We can't really (laughs) ever say it's perfectly safe or perfectly happy? Kind of, because the word happiness sort of suggests this magical utopia, like some finish line that we would cross, which isn't very realistic. And so I think for most people, it's like, well, how would I be happier? Like today, next week, next month, what are the kinds of things that I could think about and do that would make me happier? Yeah. Or maybe it's a way of thinking about it like a 12-step-y way. Oh, I'm still in recovery. You can never say I got there. Yes, exactly. Although, you know, as a guy who's happy, just like the the, uh, Pharrell Williams song, Uh I don't know if I'd keen to the happier project. Ah. I think it would be... Well, I'm already happy to begin with. Ah, well, that's great. I think it sort of connotes that you start off as unhappy. Maybe the greatest thing your podcast could do is lose listenership as you go along. Ah, well, (laughs) you know, it's funny, though. Around the world, everywhere you go, if you ask people, are you happy? Most people say they're pretty happy or very happy. So, in fact, most people are pretty happy. Well, most people say they're happy. Do we know that that's true or not? Well, I mean, this is, you know, these are as legit as any surveys or studies that you ever see. But well, when they do the international studies, yes. like uh, Bhutan yes. has the happiness index, yeah. and there's a really good yeah. one out of, I think, the Netherlands. There, yeah. there are databases yeah. of them. There's a lot of studying of it going on right now. Yeah. And I the think, UN. yeah. And they've gotten past just the self-reported figures. Yes. That's yes. that's old school. Yeah. So what's well, the better way to judge right. happiness? The, but the fact is most people are pretty happy or very happy. So it, it, we aren't, com- most people aren't in sort of deep crisis, although you might sort of think that that's the case. It's not. I think that the key to happiness is both so simple and therefore so frustrating. I just think it's to look on the bright side. I think the vast majority of our experience is subjective. Mm. And if somehow we could Mm. look at the good stuff, which is not just easier said than done, it's pretty much impossible. Either you have that orientation or you don't. Well, see, this is something that's very interesting because you can you can sort of think about happiness, in my mind, in two ways. You can think about your thoughts, your thinking, your attitudes, your, your emotional state. Or you can think about what could you do physically in the concrete world? What actions could you take that you think are going to make you feel happier? And to my mind, I, I get very kind of frustrated and, and – uh, when I when I try to affect my thoughts or my yeah. emotions. And so I'm very focused on, well, what are the actions you could do? If you want to be happier, what are the kinds of things that you could do that would be likely to make you happier? So that's what we talk about in the podcast. It's just like very manageable, practical things that you could do that are going to have that that effect on the way you feel. Because I think for a lot of people, it's it, the, like people worrying about like, are they optimistic? I'm like, I, I don't even know how to think about that. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's just like, I, I feel like I'm in a fun house of mirrors. You're right. So right. Let's be tangible. I would yeah. guess that most of the things you could do or things people already know, like exercise. But what are the things that people didn't even realize they could do to be happy? Well, one thing that I, that was a huge surprise to me when I was doing my research and was it's definitely been borne out by this podcast experience is one of the things that the research keeps showing is that novelty and challenge bring happiness. And even something like as 
basic as going to a new restaurant tends to make, pe- make people happier. But I'm like this really unadventurous person. I eat the same food every day. And I thought, for me, familiarity and mastery make me happy. So years ago, to test the principle that, happy, that novelty and challenge make you happier, I decided I'd start a blog and see how that went. And I thought I'd do it for three weeks and abandon it. And uh, I found out, indeed, the research is true. Novelty and challenge can be this huge engine of happiness once you plow through the insecurity and the frustration and the sense of you know, feeling incompetent. Um, and one of the things that I've loved about this podcast is it's a whole new world. It's a whole new set of challenges. I'm doing it with my sister. Uh, relationships make people happy. Uh, probably the key to happiness is relationships. So I'm spending all this time with talking to my sister. And so I'm just reminded like, of the sort of the Sometimes when we feel uh, down, we think we need to make life easier and and kind of lighten our load. But sometimes tackling something new, something ambitious, something big and challenging is energizing and exciting and kind of gets you geared up, even though it's adding to your burden in a way. But your blog is really successful. I've been to your blog. Lots of people go to your blog. But it wasn't when it started out. Well, if it it stayed that way, would it have made you happy? Like, can we say that the task of it made you happy as opposed to the success of it? Well, I have to say, okay, I think one of the interesting things to ask yourself if you're wondering about what kinds of things make you happiest, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because probably what you did for fun when you were 10 is something you would enjoy now. And when I was 10 years old, my favorite thing to do was to, I would copy out my favorite passages from books in this blank books, these blank books that I kept. And then I would glue in a picture that I cut out from my magazine. So I'd make these kind of illustrated chat books. What do I do on my blog half the time is like pick some quotation or some passage that I think is interesting, write commentary on it and post an image that I think illustrates it. It's exactly what I did for fun when I was 10. So for me, it's like, it's super fun. So of course, it's nice that it's successful. I can't say that that doesn't add a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, gratification to it. But it was pretty funny even when I was just starting out. When I was 10 years old, and this was yeah, the, what did you do for this fun? Is the first line of an NPR bio right, was, you, you, as a 10-year-old caller to the radio station so, WGBB, you you Mike Pesca talked about sports uh, all day. Okay, see? <laughs> is that a perfect... Okay, that's, now you're going to be my... One. Whenever I tell that, that, uh, that story again, yeah. you're going to be my illustration. The other thing that I still do to this day every Tuesday, Thursday, 4 to 6, is fry ants on the sidewalk with a magnifying glass. Oh, well, so it know, still makes the, me the roots, happy. The roots, yeah, yes. Yeah, it yeah. all goes back to childhood. What else are things, I like that idea, novelty, pursuing novelty, right. getting a little bit outside your comfort zone. What are the other surprising things? Well, one of the things I think is the absolute key to happiness and good habits is to know yourself. And so on the podcast, one of the segments that we have is Know Yourself Better, where we pose some question to help people know themselves better. Because one of the surprising things to me is, you know, you think like, well, of course I know myself. I mean, how hard can it be? I just hang out with myself all day long. And yet it's so easy to lose track of who you are and just think about what other people expect you to be or who you wish you were or um, what others want you to be. And so I think a lot of times asking questions like, whom do you envy? Or, um, you know, uh, what do you lie about? Questions like that can really help you think about yourself, see yourself in a new way, and maybe get an insight into your into what your real values, all your real interests are, and, and kind of maybe how you can make your life a better reflection of what's actually important to you. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that I realized I don't particularly like music. I mean, I like some songs here and there, that, right? but people love music, and, and, yeah. and it's like flabbergasted. You know, they're, they're flabbergasted, but I'm like... Just not that into because everybody's like everybody's into music. I assume everybody's into music. I must be into music. I'm like, yeah. 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 You like your noise disorganized. Yeah, food. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I'm not, but I'm notes not a in order. It's like I'm yeah. not a foodie. I mean, and so, but it's sometimes you just lose track of what's true for you because you're so swayed by what 
expectations are. Yeah. I had a friend who recently uh, went through a divorce and uh, it was a tough time. Yeah. And who's like, you know, but the good thing is I got into a band and I realized how much I like music. I'm like, yeah. and I said to him, Greg, if someone said, name one thing about Greg, I would say, this guy's like the greatest musician I know. Oh. He's like this great guitar oh. player. But see, but that's the, the, the classic example of so he was saying I'm trying to get happier by doing this thing I'm like oh, maybe if you had played guitar I don't know what but, was going on in the relationship that's a perfect, it seemed so fundamental that's to him. so perfect example though because sometimes you think like well something is so deep in your nature and yet it's not reflected in your life you're like yes. why aren't you in a band why aren't you spending a lot of time in music why aren't you cultivating this yeah, thing that it's one of your deeper yeah. the deepest part of you and yet it's easy as an adult to just sort of get pulled further and further away to, from the things that really matter and so a question like how to know yourself better is really important because the more you kind of reflect on it, it's, it's just surprisingly easy to be completely spaced out about what makes you happy. Well, you know, my dad told me, and I think this was the title of a book, but if you do something that you love, it's not work. Yes. And so I think 100%. that takes care of a lot of happiness. Yes. So, so my friend Greg, if he was a professional musician, that yeah. would be a box that yeah. was checked off. And a lot of what I do is the stuff that I would yes. want to be doing anyway. 100%. That's exactly how I feel about my work. So, it, But it seems that that stuff that isn't encompassed by the professional life, that's the stuff that you have to attend to. Right. That's the stuff that you have to pay attention to and know about. I really have to pay attention to just about everything, which is bad news for me because mindfulness is so important, and I'm like the least mindful person I hate in the world. That word, though. No, but, it, but What's there's it really mean? I, I completely agree. I do too, but there's no other word for for it. like for just like the consciousness of what are you doing. I agree. Let's make up a let's make up a, 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 a substitution. Awareness, cognition. I mean, those are worse. Being in touch with yourself. I mean, that's worse too. Om. I mean, there's just there's no there's no better yeah. phrase for it. It always just comes back to knowing who you really are. I would say that is the best thing about aging and getting older. Oh, yeah. That you yes. know yourself more yes. because the situations stop being hypothetical. Yeah. You probably lived through them a couple yeah. times. And it also strikes me that all the surveys show the older you get, the happier you get. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know yourself. You accept yourself. You sort of come to understand. I mean, and that's what sometimes I think people don't really grapple with is that self-acceptance is sometimes sad because sometimes it's sad to realize that you're not every everything you wish that you could be, you know, that you're not going to be the person who's going to go on some exotic trip to foreign lands because it's just not in your nature. And sometimes that's kind of hard to admit to yourself, you know, to really say, this is who I am for better and for worse and just... You know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) Sometimes, though, I think that just having an answer for something, I mean, people who do solicitations in the street, surveys have shown that if you give any explanation, you're much more likely to get an answer. Yeah, it's just any because. Right. Like 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 even, can I ask you a question because I'm doing a study? Well, no, they even did a thing where it was people in line. I'm sure you've read this study. It was people in line in a Xerox machine and somebody would say, uh, can I get cut in line because I need to make some copies? Right, it's like of course everybody in line has to yeah. make some copies. But if you just say because, yep. people are like, oh, well, there's a reason here. If there's a rationale, then I guess right. it's acceptable. And yeah. so when you know yourself, if you could say, because I'm not a kind of guy who likes to skydive, right. you right. get a little, you're right. a little happier. Well, and if the answer is only, that's a tautology, by the way. Why don't you want to skydive? No, why not? Because I'm not the kind of guy who wants to skydive. Well, I see, and that's that's the tension because, like, I always say, I want to accept myself and yet 
expect more from myself because you have to know like where can, where is it appropriate for you given who you are to push the boundaries to go out of your comfort zone to do the novel and challenging things that are going to make you happier and when do you just say like that's just not being true to me like that's just not something that I'm going to ask myself it's just it's just not it's contrary to who I am and I think only each of us individually can know where that line is Gretchen Rubin is the author of The Happiness Project and more to the point today her new podcast yes happier happier debuts on the Panoply Network. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you. So someone sent an email or maybe a Twitter, I don't know, pigeon to me and uh, wondered if the post office near my house was just the worst post office ever. Because often in these Stamps.com commercials, I use the post office as a, as a whipping boy, as a rhetorical cudgel, Lester to my Willie Tyler. No, the other way around. It's always the puppet that gets the best of the master. And yes, I have been treating the post office a little bit like that. So let's not even talk about the post office. Let's just talk about the feeling that you get when you could click something and that thing is accomplished. Stamps.com does that. Stamps.com turns your PC or your Mac into your personal post office, into your personal Willie Tyler. Talk about convenient. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and your printer. The mailman, the guy who hangs out in the post office like a good quarter of the time, comes by, picks it up, drops it in the mailbox. Right now, use the promo code THEGIST for a special offer. It's a no-risk trial. It's a $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale. It calculates exact postage for letters and packages and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. And now the spiel. Gave it the office. Scandal, controversy, outrage. The head of the Veterans Administration, in an attempt to address the problem of homelessness among veterans, Robert McDonald, engaged in a census on the streets of Los Angeles. There, he encountered a homeless man who claimed to be a veteran, claimed to be special forces, and Robert McDonald identified with him. Here is the tape of that from CBS News. Do you happen to be a veteran of military service? Yes. Really? Army, Navy, Air Force? Army. Army? What unit? Special Forces. Special Forces? What years? I was in Special Forces. The Los Angeles public radio program Off Ramp also captured McDonald making a similar claim. Do you have a flashlight? I do. You want to see it? He's prepared. Yes. Yeah, for radio. Show us your flashlight. I'm an Army Ranger, so, you know. Now... McDonald wasn't an Army Ranger, nor was he in the Special Forces. He graduated from West Point. He went to Ranger School, but he served in the 82nd Airborne Regiment, not the Rangers. In the Army, Special Forces means Green Berets. If you were in the Navy SEALs or Delta Force or the Army Rangers, you could be called Special Operations Forces or Special Operations. Do you get that? Do you get the distinction? I kind of don't either, but I do know that in the military, it's a big deal. And to say you were Special Forces when you weren't, smacks of puffing up your chest or inflating your resume or just lying. So it's not right. Well, how about context? Let's see who McDonald was lying to. A homeless guy who claimed he was a veteran. McDonald was doing a survey, a census of the homeless in L.A., ultimately trying to get them benefits. So he told a guy, guy says, I'm special forces. He says, I was too, trying to create a connection between them. There is a bond. Maybe we could get you services. Maybe we can end your homelessness. It's wrong to lie. 
McDonald has copped to the lie, and I do not think he will be removed from his position. Though, there's no way he's going to be able to use his job as a stepping stone to anchor the NBC Nightly News now. Because why? Because he lied to a homeless guy. But I want to tell you something. I lie to homeless guys all the time. Here now, tape of me lying to a homeless guy. Spare some change? Nah, sorry. I lied. I just lied there. I did have money. I just didn't want to give it to him. Had money. In fact, I lied twice. The second lie was when I said, sorry. I wasn't sorry. Two words, two lies. Not that I'm not sympathetic to the homeless. I am. Panhandlers, maybe a little less so, but I'm, I'm sympathetic too. But I'm not giving them money. Here's what I do. Every year I write a check. Small amount, $40, $50. I write it to a food pantry. Such a better use of a charitable donation. That check gives me way more than $50 in avoided guilt for not giving to the individual homeless people. I feel no guilt. Life hack. Every time I get hit up for money because I gave this donation, I wind up feeling good about myself. Think about that. I'm like this philanthropic asshole. I'm using my, really, when you think about it, quite nominal donation to get a good feeling every time I'm confronted by a homeless person. I have turned the guilt and societal sadness into personal congratulations. I am a charitable monster. I am the anti-altruist. I encourage you to do the same. Now, if I were really into helping the homeless, you know what organization I'd model my behavior on? Well, let me tell you about an agency, a government agency, no less. We always hear government's the problem, not the solution. But this agency counted 200,000 homeless individuals among their ranks as recently as 2006. And they started working on the problem, the problem of people they were responsible for, and they cut that number of homeless people in half within three years. Today, the number of homeless people that this agency is responsible for is around 50,000. The agency is, of course, the VA. Now, 50,000 homeless veterans is a shame. Almost 10% of all homeless people are veterans. But from 195,000 to under 50,000 in the span of less than a decade, that's real progress. And it's progress I never would have even known about if there wasn't this stupid kerfuffle over a lie Robert McDonald told to a homeless man. You know what else seems a bit adrift, a little unmoored? Our priorities. And for 50 bucks a year, you can come to such holier-than-thou conclusions yourself. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is pursuing work among howler monkeys and other fauna in the tops of rainforests, part of the Canopy Network. Managing producer of Slate Podcasts, Joel Meyer, is a man, yet he also marks his territory by urinating, defecating, scratching, rubbing, and biting trees during a full moon because he's a part of the Lycanthropy Network. You thought Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, was a nice guy. He's not. He's the guiding hand behind the Misanthropy Network. The Gist is actually part of the Panoply Network. Check out the entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. I'll spell it for you. P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. To listen to The Gist, go to iTunes. To get our daily email, go to Slate.com slash Gist email. Or sign up for Yo! And under Yo! sign up for podcast. We'll let you know as soon as we're ready to cast. We're on Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. You know, things started off pretty sensibly, but they have just broken down into pure chaos. I guess that's what I get for my inclusion in the Entropy Network. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Allison Benedict. 
And I'm Dan Coyce. On this week's episode of Slate's Parenting Podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, we'll talk to author Ron Lieber about how to raise charitable children. And then we'll follow J.K. Simmons' Oscar advice and call our own moms. Please search for Mom and Dad Are Fighting on iTunes or visit slate.com slash podcasts.